Hello and welcome to Tune In Talk, your rendezvous for animation interviews. I am your host, Whitney Grace, and all I have to say is, welcome back after a long hiatus. Now, dear listeners, I bet you're wondering where I have been. Well, I have been around the world and back, well, not net technically around the world, across the Atlantic Ocean and back, and I have been to all four corners of the United States of America, well, California, not Oregon, uh, New York, not Maine, and but I have been to Florida, so metaphorically that counts, and I've had to do with a lot of crap. You're wondering, oh, that's a bad word, crap, no, just get off your high PC horse and listen to me. I have had to deal with a lot of life issues. Part of it has to do with myself, part of it has to do with family, but most of it has to do with myself. And a lot of that has to do with me keeping some information private. And it's not necessarily bad information, it's just, I am a very private person. I don't really like talking about myself. I like talking about things I have done, people I've been with, events, in particular, especially Comic-Cons, movies, you know, anything that's fun and positive, anything that has a sort of negative connotation to it, it makes me sad. And when I'm sad, I get depressed. And when I get depressed, I don't feel like anything. Which brings me to the point of today's episode. I'm going to explain a little bit more about myself. Specifically, what I have to deal on a day-to-day basis. If any of you have visited my website, which has not been updated a lot, but as you can see, I have updated the bio, more or less because things are picking up in my writing career. Oh, good news, everybody. Guess who has an agent? Mish! Me, moi, I have been picked up by the Trident Media Agency up in New York to basically write graphic novels. I have this great new agent. His name is Mark. Talk about a comic book geek, and I say that with as much respect and love as I can. He's just as big a geek as anyone out there. I am... Funny story is I took him to meet one of my voice actor friends at the New York Comic Con, and I literally blew Mark's mind. It was so much fun just to see his reaction after he met this voice actor, which he had been a fan of since he was a kid. I mean, he and I are around the same age, so since we both were kids. Yeah, I love blowing people's mind and seeing their reaction because it's fun, and you can vicariously experience their joy, especially if you brought it to them. And one of the reasons why I started this podcast was to bring joy to my life. Because one of the most personal things I can share with you is about my mind. I have a lot of stuff going on in my brain that makes me a minority among minorities. In some cases, in some ways it doesn't. But let me just lay it out straight and stop being around the bush. My name is Whitney Grace. I have been around the block many times and I have seen many good things, many bad things, and everything in between. And I am autistic. Before the publication of the DSM-6, which is the newest mental health diagnosis, you know, it's one of those big, thick books you see in many psychiatrists and therapists' offices, I was categorized as Asperger's, which is a form of high-functioning autism. But with the new requirements that have come out with the DSM-6, I now just simply qualify as an individual on the autism spectrum disorder. I know, it's a lot of medical gobbledygook. In simple Asperger's has not left the common vernacular speech, so I have Asperger's. I'm extraordinarily high-functioning, and I don't act like many other people with autism. And before I get a bit more into that, I want to say I spent a quarter of a century 
misdiagnosed. And if you have ever dealt with any sort of medical, physical, or mental affliction, you know very well that if it is not diagnosed properly, it's going to F you up. And I am so freaking serious. Being misdiagnosed totally effed up my life. And once I received the proper diagnosis, it's like so many things that I could not control are not my fault. Because neurologically, I cannot. Now, let me go into a bit more detail about what it means for me to be an individual with autism, high-functioning autism, or Asperger's. There's so many terminologies out there. Uh, I think the pet term for it is Aspie, which I think is actually kind of cute. So, I am an Aspie. But one of the reasons why I was misdiagnosed is because I'm female. And I can hear a lot of you say, oh, she's a girl. She's bringing that feminist stuff. No. It has nothing to do with that. It is simply a fact that while I was growing up, the concentration of academic and medical studies related to autism weighed heavily on males. Females can and do exhibit different signs than males. It is a scientific fact. There have been countless women and girls who are on the spectrum who were not diagnosed because they did not fit the DSM-5 and earlier editions definition of what was autistic. And that is due to lack of research. Um, it also has to do with the stigma of concentration on males, and I will bring that up because it's true whenever they need a study, it's always been look at the boys or if they ever need someone new it'll look at the boys I'm not I'm not angry at anyone over that it's just history it's just disappointing that they didn't do more because had they done more I wouldn't have had to deal with PTSD now but here's a fact the females who did exhibit autistic signs that were in accordance with the studies and the definition and whatever edition of the DSM-5, whatever edition of the DSM was out, they were diagnosed. Uh, the one that comes to mind is Dr. Temple Grandin. She is one of the most brilliant individuals I have ever encountered in my life. I have not had the honor of meeting her, but if you ever need any sort of objective and highly researched look into autism, look into her books, I'll include a list more on that later. But she exhibited the more typical signs of someone who was autistic. She has Asperger's, but again, she qualified more into the male demographic. Uh, didn't look people in the eyes, uncomfortable in crowds, did not like change. However, very highly intelligent. I mean, she's a doctor for goodness sake. Now, when it comes to me, I am not your typical person with Asperger's. I look you in the eye. In fact, if you do not look me in the eye, I consider it quite rude, as does the average person in the United States and the Western world. I am also very verbal. I do not talk like a robot nine good portion of the time. It also seems as if I am very social and not introverted. 
However, if you get to know me on any personal level, I do display signs of one who is autistic. I am quite confused by sarcasm. I take things quite literally. I have a hyper-focused interest in particular topics. And you know, if you've ever watched the Big Bang Theory or seen any sort of depiction of any sort of comic book geek or, you know, sci-fi nerd on television, things that come to mind are the IT crowd, uh, the Big Bang Theory, particularly the character Dr. Sheldon Cooper, and then the comic book guy in The Simpsons. These portrayals are stereotypes of individuals with autism. I felt that the portrayal of an autistic individual in the form of Dr. Sheldon Cooper and the Big Bang Theory was quite well done. Um, however, in real life, Sheldon's friends would not have been so loyal to him as they were. I can tell you this from my own experience. However, it's a sitcom. It's fantasy. So they stay. <laughs> it led to many, many humorous things. But if you ever see any sort of stereotypical portrayal of a comic book being goes, well, um, actually, or the level five orc is going to kill your level two uh, paladin, and I am going to steal all your loot. And then they can memorize and recite all these facts and other stuff like that. Well, that's true. <laughs> and I, I am laughing because on many, many occasions, I have slipped into that type of role. <laughs> and it's um, quite funny. I've actually... <laughs> I'm laughing because as a child, I was the bane of museum docents, um, historical sites, tour guides... <laughs> I was the child who was correcting anyone who got their facts wrong. And I I look at this and laugh now because if you ever need some way to diagnose a kid with Asperger's or autism, reciting facts like an encyclopedia, oh wait, that's dating myself even more, reciting information like Wikipedia or one of those fan wikis, nonstop, without a breath... Oh boy, that's one of the ways. And I was like that. Um, you asked me about Sailor Moon. I could have corrected you on everything. Um, even today, when it comes to my interest as an animation story and a lot of Reiniger, people have a few people have tried to impress me with their knowledge of the animator. And I remember one situation in particular where this woman said, oh, did you know that this so-and-so composer was inspired by Lotta Reiniger for his opera? And I looked at her, and I was not trying to be rude. And many of us who have autism, we are not trying to be rude. We are confronted with misinformation. And by all accounts, we know we have the right answer, so we correct. We think we are helping. We think we are just doing what's right. And this woman, when she presented this fact to me, I was like, that's not true. And she was like, wait, what? And I was like, no. Now, in this situation, I am more or less the official biographer of Lotta Reiniger in the United States and the world, actually, except Germany, where there is this one great biography that I based much of my research on to guide me. Uh, but it, it's not in English, and it did leave a lot out. But the fact that I corrected her uh, put her on edge. And I was just simply confused and just like, baffled by what was going on. I was like, that's not right. And I can't speak for everyone who 
has autism. But one way to describe it is we are confronted with misinformation or confronted with something that does not fit into our modus operandi and we correct it or we fix it. And that is what categorizes us as rude, robotic, insufferable, unfriendly, awkward, embarrassing, and anything else along those lines. My parents are not saints, but they are some of the best people I have encountered in life. And some of you might be thinking, oh, why didn't they get her diagnosed? Blah, 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 blah. It's not true. My parents, my parents had to put up with a lot of crap from me growing up. Now, before I go in to my childhood of therapists and psychiatrists, let me explain a bit more about my autism. I know some of you might be saying that, oh, were you vaccinated as a child? Yes, I was. I was vaccinated as a child. And they might automatically assume that because I was vaccinated is the cause of my autism. And I can 100% assure you that's not true. Because as a baby, as a little baby, less than four months old, before I was even vaccinated, I was exhibiting autistic signs. And I am in the party that thoroughly knows that autism is caused by chemical alterations in the womb before birth or genetic, abnormal genetics. And based on my parents' genetic history, I am 99.9% sure my autism is inherited genetically through a bunch of recessive genes that warped into autism, Asperger's. I also need to note that the human brain is a muscle that is constantly in flux. Anything traumatic or positive leaves an impact on the brain. And, for instance, if you have an abusive childhood, abuse in any form, that alters your brain. If you had a great childhood, that alters your brain so that it becomes healthy. Now, your brain is altered as you grow up, as you age, and if you have kids, that is passed down to them via genetics, via whatever happened to you in your life. It's probably the most easiest thing that can change about you is your brain. And it's quite interesting. There's a little bit more science about that, but I won't go into that. Um, back to my parents. On my father's side, there is documented dyslexia that spans for uh, several generations. It was in my grandfather, then it was passed on to my father and several of his siblings. It was also passed down to me and one of my siblings. It's a learning disability that has proven to be genetic heretically passed down to children via their parents, or it can also just pop up randomly in 
one person in a family based on recessive genes. But, you know, it's just one of those things. Now, on the, my mother's side of the family, it gets uh, to become a little bit more complicated. There is generational mental health issues throughout her parents and then her grandparents and probably well into my great-grandparents and further back. This stems mostly from anxiety and depression. In other words, it's not a barrel of laughs. Now, when it comes to autism in my family, and I am talking about generations, aunts, uncles, cousins, first, second, third, and fourth, from my knowledge, there only one who is diagnosed with autism on my mother's side is myself, and then I have a first cousin on my father's side who has autism, but she is not high, as high function as I am, and uh, we don't know each other very well, but she's nice. And so, whether or not this is genetic, I'm pretty sure the combination of dyslexia combined with the depression and anxiety disorders that come from my mother's side is what turned me into a basic chemical concoction of autism in the womb. My mother also had the flu while she was pregnant with me, so that could have also contributed to the utero soup I was in. Whatever it comes down to is there were a lot of factors that influenced me to become the big bag of recessive proteins and amino acids that I am. Now, in a little bit earlier, I mentioned that I saw therapists and psychiatrists and psychologists growing up, and I abbreviated it by saying my parents are some of the best people I know. I bet many of you are saying, well, why didn't her parents do something to get her diagnosed? I grew up in the 90s and the 80s, ladies and gentlemen. A lot of research, again, based on autism, centered around low-functioning boys. And I did not display the characteristics of an individual with autism. Instead, I was diagnosed with depression, which is true. I have a chemical imbalance I inherited from my mother. And I don't have anxiety as much because I... I don't know, you tell me to do something, I'll just jump right in. I do deal with it a bit, but... And then I do have a learning disability. I have the... And please feel free to laugh, because I think this is hilarious. I have one of the world's worst sense of direction. I still get lost in... And places that I have been dozens of times. And... I remember where I'm going, but I just get turned around. I mean, if you ask me to go on a vacation to Mexico and we would be driving and say, hey, we'll see you there next week, I'd be, alrighty then. I would drive north instead of south, cross the Canadian border, oblivious to the maple leaves, and just be looking around and say, porque ellos no hablan español aquí, solamente hablan inglés y francés. I would be in Canada. While my friends in Mexico would be saying, where is she? It's that bad. However, it has led to many, many humorous stories, of which I shall tell you on a different time. But makes me thankful I am living now. Because with a GPS on my phone, I don't get lost anymore. Unless the GPS is not working, and then you drive around the Beverly Hills and then the mountains of California wondering, oh, hey, this is where they shoot all those fancy car commercials. And, oh boy, you wonder if you'll ever see your Airbnb hostel again. And, uh, yeah, it leads to many frustrations as well. But the traits of autism I exhibit are that I don't socialize like other people. A lot of my conversations with individuals are awkward. 
embarrassing, I am taken for rude, or egotistical, or know-it-all, and just downright self-righteous and rude. In other words, I annoy people. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, yours truly annoys people. Who would have thought? No, um, it's actually something I've been dealing with my entire life. And frankly, now that I know that there's a neurological cause of it, I can do my best to stop being annoying. But at the same time, it's a neurological disorder. I can't control it. I do my best, but I still rub people the wrong way. And for those of you who I rub the wrong way, my apologies, but at the same time, no one is forcing you to listen to me. So we'll move on. I was in and out of counselors and therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists my entire adolescence. My autism came to the forefront because of some really extensive bullying I dealt with in the fourth grade. Around that time, I was, oh geez, nine, ten years old, and fourth grade is around the time when kids start to want to be adults. And so they try to shed their youthful naivetyes and oblivious things, and they try to be cooler than they actually are. And that leads to a lot of bullying. So it's tweens on the cusp of puberty. I spent fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, I spent four years all of which were associated with puberty, with very traumatic cases of bullying. The reasons I was bullied, I never was physically assaulted. This was before any sort of social media platform. I did not encounter any online bullying. All of it took place at school. Sometimes over instant messaging. And I don't really think I had anything to do with over the phone. And it was by people who I thought were my friends. And it was also done by people who saw me as an easy target because I was different. I didn't help matters because of the way I dressed. I had some body issues on top of my misdiagnosis, depression, and uh, yeah. I had body issues. These related to puberty and um. One of the things I had also issues with was uh, fabric. I didn't wear jeans until my early 20s. And the only thing I would wear pants-wise were leggings. Now, a lot of you are saying, oh, leggings were cool. No, 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 no. Ladies and gentlemen, leggings went out of fashion in the 1980s. In the 2000s and the 1990s, being the only, only child in high school and middle school and elementary school, wearing leggings was a fashion faux pas. And I was ceaselessly made fun of for it. However, you could also say I had taste before everyone else did. I was also excessively fixated on anime, cartoons, Anything now that associated me with being a geek. I was a geek. I didn't do anything else the other girls with. I didn't like makeup. I didn't really want to date. I was more interested in going to school and getting my good grades. Ah, uh, then all this humdum drum drama that you get on these 
tween and teenage sitcoms. It just didn't make sense to me. It, I have my vision straight of going to school, getting in and getting out. Other people, it was... It still confuses me today. Just all the drama of how we're going to stay together forever. Why don't you do this? But that's that's another can of worms. But because I didn't do stuff like that, again, another reason to be a target. Also, being having my geeky interest was yet another reason to be a target. I mean, nowadays it's cool to be a geek. I mean, you can like My Little Ponies. And you're like, hey, that's cool. I like Twilight Sparkled. You like a Twilight Sparkle? I'm Fluttershy. Me? I like My Little Ponies. I was made fun of for it. I had to keep that a secret. I liked anime in high school. I mean, I was your quintessential otaku who was cosplaying, going to conventions, wearing my anime pride on my sleeve. I was like, yeah, anime otaku. No. No, no. No. It's cool now. Back then? No. So, yeah. When my parents did take me to see therapists and all the other medical professionals of a mental health persuasion, some of them said I was just being difficult. That's another word I heard throughout my whole life. Whitney, you're just being difficult. I can hear so many people saying I was just being difficult, 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 difficult. I wasn't. Wasn't trying to be. Um, They correctly diagnosed with the depression. A few of them thought I had obsessive compulsion disorder. No, I did not. Um, A lot of them just said it was adolescence, puberty. Those were the kinder therapists. And they they just didn't see it. No one thought it was a neurotypical disorder. They thought it was just a chemical imbalance. And part of it is a chemical imbalance. I will give them credit on that. I do take medication to balance out my emotions. The thing is, uh, one myth about autistic people is that we do not feel emotions. It's actually um, quite the opposite, at least from my autistic experience, is we, me, at least, not we, I experience intense emotions about things and from what I surmised based off my experiences I experience emotions perhaps more intensely than the neurotypical person I take my medication to take away this intensity I can also hear some of you saying, oh, it's taking away your your feelings, your other stuff. You know, that, that, that the kind of the kind of BS that was on TV that made people not trust doctors to begin with. Like in the eighties and the nineties, the type of exposure to any sort of mental health scenario I was exposed to on television and in the movies, was if you take any sort of drug related to any sort of mental health problem, it's going to dope you up. It's going to take away who you are. You're not going to be able to focus. You're going to be sleepy all the time. And they're just trying to assert control over you. I fervently fought my parents... Because of this belief, because of what I was seeing on TV and the movies and what I was reading in books. Now, yes, in many cases, especially for the more severe people who have autism or other mental health disabilities, that is the case. However, 
and many other cases, it's also not. However, it does make good drama to have a story where someone who is afflicted with a mental health disorder, that there's a bad guy who's trying to dope them up so that they can control them. That was my assumption. And it was entirely wrong. And I fought my parents a lot on that. It wasn't until, again, my early 20s, that I had the equivalent of what would be called a nervous breakdown due to some uh, personal issues I don't want to go into that I went back on medication. I had been on and off it for years, but around the time of this nervous breakdown, I was dangerously low. I thought about suicide. I was never going to do suicide. You know that song that goes, wake me up when it's all over, when I'm wiser and I'm older? That was pretty much how I felt. I just wanted to go to sleep and wake up when all this bad BS was done with. And what caused that said nervous breakdown was bullying related to some job environment issues I was dealing with, uh, the 2008 market crash, and not being able to cope with things as well as I had thought I would. Now, I say nervous breakdown, but if you ask any medical professional, either a regular doctor or any mental health professional, they will tell you that nervous breakdown is not a proper diagnosis. I only use that term for you to get an understanding of what I was going through. The proper diagnosis for what was going on, I had this post-diagnosed with my therapist. It was adjustment disorder. I forget if it was severe or some other adjective, but it was adjustment disorder. And because of that adjustment disorder, and because of the, P- I was dealing with the PTSD of what happened going on with my environment at that time, as well with, with some personal issues in my family, as well as with coping with the years and years of bullying and not understanding what was wrong with me, I finally received the autistic diagnosis along with the PTSD diagnosis. The autistic diagnosis came first, followed uh, two or three years later with the PTSD diagnosis. Uh, Some other situations led to that, me being diagnosed with that. And then, again, post-diagnosed with the adjustment disorder. Um, This led to me going through a year of emotional behavioral therapy treatment. EBT for short. For those of you who are unfamiliar with EBT, it's a way of retraining the brain. I had been so severely conditioned by people in my life close to me and non-close to me to respond and act a certain way. People keep telling me to stop doing this, stop doing it, stop doing it. But the thing is, it's like, it's like trying to tell an addict to stop smoking. 
or to stop taking drugs or to stop drinking alcohol or to stop being sugar or to stop watching YouTube or to stop playing online games or to stop doing this and this and this and this. It's a habitual form of processing that has entered your brain. And with autism, our brains are already neurologically different from everyone else. You can't just say that to someone like us. Because we can't. We don't know how. I didn't know how. And that was one of the things I've been hearing my whole life. Stop it. Stop it. Do it differently. You need to stop it. You're being difficult. It freaking sucked. And when I expressed this to my counselors and uh, my mother happened to be with me at one of these the counselor said all right we can help you with that I know you can't do this and it was just shock and awe, (laughs) to realize that some things aren't your fault. Don't get me wrong. I am not absolving myself of anything I did. I mean, I totally own temper tantrums I had, arguments, heated, heated rifts, I have with individuals in the past, especially in my family. I own those. That was me. However, I was not necessarily, I wasn't responsible at the same time. I couldn't control it because neurologically, I couldn't. wasn't my fault. I did those actions. Those are mine. I do not deny anything. I own everything. But at the same time, I couldn't help it. And to be told it's not your fault, it's amazing. It is utterly amazing now from there with my emotional behavioral therapy basically what my doctor therapist said I needed to do was retrain my brain because of my PTSD the actual diagnosis is complex PTSD because of the misdiagnosis because of the bullying and because of the depression and a whole lot of other sensitive factors my brain was effed up Um, at birth my brain was already neurologically I'm just going to say it my brain was neurologically effed up as an infant don't blame my mom don't blame my dad I just blame the Random statistics of life. And, I mean, there are millions of combinations of genes, and I just happened to, to luck out to have the one from both sides of the parents that gave me autism. And then there's also the flu case factor. Moving on. When you have autism, you are socially impaired at least in my case the regions of the brain that deal with socialization with your other fellow humans more often than not is neurologically impaired that is true in my case I have difficulties reading individuals conversations body language anything with that sarcasm is still a problem I survived for so long because of cartoons, 
comic books and other books and television and movies. I learned how to interact with people because of cartoons, because of television, because of movies. And I watched all this stuff like it was documentaries. Like, hmm, how are teenagers supposed to react with each other? Let's watch Clarissa Explains It All. Let's watch Boy Meets World and Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And uh, let's see, what other shows were on at that time? Family Matters and Full House. However, one funny story I come with this is on a lot of these kid uh, live-action kid shows... The parents are portrayed as idiots. So me and my autistic brain, all oh, I believed that all adults were idiots. Yeah, so when you try to do a few things to your parents who are actually quite intelligent, like they did on TV, that was a one-way trip to my room and being grounded for two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny in retrospect. But when I told this to my mother, she was heartbroken because she was like, you mean you thought those were real? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, you did some of this stuff because you thought we were actually stupid? And I go, yeah. And she goes, oh, honey. And yeah, it's, it's one of those things that only after healing and learning more about yourself that you can make fun of and laugh at. I mean, it's the same thing with, again, one of those traits that is stereotypically associated with those of autism is our hyper-focus and interest in a particular topic. Um, as you can tell, obviously, with me, it's comic books, animation, and puppetry, of course. <laughs> but um, I make fun of myself all the time for these for that particular faucet of my facet of my personality because... It has brought me a lot of joy, a lot of new friends, and it has also kept me alive is my interest in these things. Um, there's a movie called Fanboys. Ernest Klein, the guy who wrote Ready Player One and Armada, great guy, very personable, very nice, very, very intelligent. He, I think, wrote the script for that. Anyway, the movie Fanboys is set around the time when the second trilogy of Star Wars movies coming out. Now, it revolves around a set of friends, and one of them is diagnosed with cancer. And his final wish before he kicks the bucket is to see the newest first movie in the second installation of the Star Wars trilogy franchise. However, the movie's not out yet. The movie's not going to be out for a long, long time. So the friends decide to go on a road trip to Skywalker Ranch, break into George Lucas's house, and see if they can see uh, episode one, The Phantom Menace, before it reaches theaters. And it it's hilarious. There's a bunch of high drinks and gags, all related to gag humor. William Shatner's in it. Uh, a bunch of Star Trek parody geeks are in it. And I think my favorite line in that whole thing is William Shatner. He says, I'm William Shatner. I can do anything. And just the crazy and wonderful references to the fan, to the fandom, the fandom, the fandom, the fandom world. It's, it's a great movie. But what I'm getting to is the person who was diagnosed with cancer, he wanted to live long enough to see the next Star Wars movie. It gave him reason to live. And yes, I had a very loving family. However, what kept me moving on was wanting to see the next episode of Sailor Moon. Was wanting to see the next episode of Dragon Ball Z was wanting to see and read the newest DC comic about Batman or the X-Men. I wanted to see how they were living. And yes, these things were totally fictional. These things weren't real. 
but they gave me hope for a better life. I was living so I could vicariously live through these fictional characters. And that's what a lot of people who are fans of any sort, not just the autistic ones, although that's another can of worms entirely, but also the depressed ones, the ones with other mental disorders, or have dealt with any sort of traumatic experience, or are diagnosed with some sort of life-altering disease, sometimes the only thing that keeps you going is that next episode, or that next song. And because this was my hyper-focused interest, it's one of the reasons why I chose to become an animation historian, become a writer of my own characters, inspired by the plethora of cartoons, comics, books, and movies, I, wow, I inhaled throughout my entire life and continued to do so at a rapid rate. And I want to create stuff that inspires people like the characters I love inspired me. I know, oh, it's so cute and so inspirational. Yeah, give me a break. It's also kind of sickeningly saccharine at the same time. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Where am I? So I've told you about my autistic experience as a misdiagnosed individual. That sucked. Really effed up my life. Uh, let's see. Nervous breakdown, a.k.a. adjustment disorder, PTSD, EBT therapy, I'm on pills. Yeah, I related to you with that. So, I think that brings us full circle. Oh, yeah, suicidal thoughts along with what kept me going was the animation comics and puppetry, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, I think that does bring us full circle. One of the things I wanted to do desperately was work somehow in the animation industry creating my own characters as well as comic books characters and you know writing and one of the ways I set out to do that was by starting this podcast by introducing people to the part of me that is positive wonderful great energetic knowledgeable and and passionate about the comic book animation, and puppetry industries. Yeah, and also just how sweet and wonderful a person I can be if you don't think I'm annoying. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of lame thick there. But, um, yeah, I want to show the side of me that is the real me without the autism laying it on thick as someone who's totally annoying. Now, I still get comments all the time of how annoying I am and how rude I am, but at the same time, it's like, you can't please everybody. And as hard, as hard as I work to try and be myself without, you know, all the excess baggage I deal with, all I can say is I'm human. I'm not perfect. I am Whitney Grace. I have autism, high-functioning autism, formerly known as Asperger's. I have a chemical imbalance in my head that affects the dopamine receivers in my brain. So I take medication in order to stimulate the dopamine receptors in my head so I can function and control myself more effectively. I have PTSD. I deal with it every single freaking day. And 
I live because for one thing, I love my family and I want to live for them. And I also have four little pet dogs that I love so much as well. And uh, I live also so that nothing bad happens to them. I, I, I have to. They, they rely on me. But I also live for myself. And to see the newest episode of whatever cartoon I am obsessed with, or to read the latest issue of whatever comic I want, and also to see what's going to happen with the Muppets. Disney! 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 I love the two recent Muppet movies. You did. The Muppets, which was not a very creative title, and Muppets Most Wanted, which actually was a pretty creative title. But come on, folks. Do something with the Muppets. And, yeah, I'm basically living so I can see the next incarnation of whatever happens on the Muppets. And also, I'm under contract to write about the history of Nickelodeon animation from 1979 to the early 2000s. So, yeah, I kind of have a lot of work to do then. And I also, I'm working on a new graphic novel which is about World War II and very explosive. And I can hear Mark saying, Don't say anything! You don't want to give away the plot! You don't want to have your ideas stolen. Yep, I could hear him say that. He probably wouldn't, but he would say, Shh! Yeah, <laughs> but that's all I can say. World War II, very explosive, and is taking a lot of research. And <laughs> all I can say is anything associated with World War II... Is really depressing, except when the world war came to an end. But then again, after the war came to an end, uh, that's when all the atrocities brought to light. And now I am just rambling. Hey, FYI, if you weren't aware of it, rambling about a current interesting topic or our special hyperlize, blah, 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 focus interested is a trait of autism. I mean, literally, if you told me, like, if you literally needed a distraction for a friend of yours and you had me, you could just say, Whitney, talk to this person endlessly. And I go, talk to them endlessly about what? And they go, I don't know, animation. I swear to you, I could go on for hours with only taking a few breaks for air, water in the bathroom. And I would not stop because I can relate animation, comics, and puppetry to anything and everything and a muffin. Yeah, muffins are great. What kind of muffin, you ask? Well, it depends on the type of muffin and the subject of it. See, see, there we go again. I'm going off on tangents, which is what? Those of us with Asperger's sometimes do, again, when we are focused on our special focused interest. And I am doing it again. I just keep rambling and rambling. Okay. Deep breath. <sighs> again. You see where I'm going with this. This is what I have to deal with, people. It's not fun in my head. <laughs> people are one of the things that I have a laugh about when I'm just spending the many days talking to myself and no I don't hear voices in my head I've never heard voices in my head and no I am not ADHD either I know it seems like I have all this energy blah 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 in your face all I can say ladies and gentlemen that is natural I take pills to calm myself so anything left over I don't know I can't relate to it Wait, no, actually, I can relate to it. I just don't know where it comes from. Blame my parents. They're the ones with the genes. <laughs> what I'm getting at is one of the ways I make myself laugh is making fun of myself because I've dealt with this crap for so long that I, I just make jokes about it in a dark, black, humorous sense. 
And I have been asked what it's been like to be autistic. And I can say, well, honestly, you wouldn't survive a day in my head. And frankly, I don't think a lot of people would because it's crazy in here. Literally. However, as a writer, I do talk to myself because I practice conversations to see how they are in the real sense of human communication to see if they would actually work if written down on paper. So yeah, I do talk to myself. I make myself laugh. (sighs) I really, really need to get out more. So without further ado, that brings us to the explanation episode number 31 of where the heck has Whitney Grace been these past few years? She was dealing with crap! Personal issues, traveling, and getting a book out. By the way, if you need something to read, check out my book, Lotta Reiniger, Pioneer of Animation by yours truly, that tells you about the oldest surviving animated film, which was animated by a woman! <gasps> Shock gasp, can you believe it? And 11 years before Walt Disney Snow White and some drawers. But that's something we'll save for another day. However, there is a link to it on my website and you can find it on Amazon. Lotta Reiniger, Pioneer Film Animation. Ba-doo! So without further ado, that brings us to an end of another episode of Tune In Talk. I am your host, Whitney Grace, and if you excuse me, I have a comic book script to write. Adieu. Parting is such sweet sorrow. Not really. I'll catch you next time, folks.